This is Planted, a podcast that encourages us to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and established in the faith. We have a loaded program for you today. Grab your Bible and hold on as we venture the topic of unconditional election. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Matt Grimm. I'm here with Thad Keenel once again with the Planet Podcast. What's going on, Thad? Well, there's lots happening. Uh, this is uh, the one of the warmest days that we have left, I think. Yeah, I saw that. We were here on uh, recording on October 25th, and we just had a glorious weekend, fall weekend in the 60s and 70s, and in the last couple of days as well. And uh, the, the more leaves are starting to fall, but we've also just had just wonderful color here in Michigan um, this fall. And it's been, uh, even like today, I think that the, I saw a few more clouds rolling in and it is... I think you know, we've seen looking, the last of the best of it. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I hope we get a little reprieve, another little glimmer in maybe November. But um, yeah, it is going to be interesting. The winter is on its way. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, well, what are we yeah. talking about today? Yeah, well, we are in our series uh, this this season. We've been talking about the Reformed faith that kind of evolved out of discussions about God's eternal decree, his covenant within himself to, to in before the creation of the world to redeem mankind. And, and really it kind of flowed into what we've said, well, don't we just do a whole season on the Reformed faith and there we could, we could do, this could go on a long time. We'll see. But uh, we really went, started getting into some of those Issues that some people initially have, and some things that maybe that often we term termed associated highly with Calvinism and John Calvin, and we're going to talk a little bit about some history there today. Sure. But but really, what we also talked about in all this in the Reformed faith and trying to just what are some of the highlights? What are some of the things that are distinctives? And we we talked about the glory of God. We talked about the sovereignty of God, and those two things really you know, reign supreme in some ways over all these and drive a lot of this discussion. Uh, and so last week we, and in, in so, you know, we, we, we got into various passages like um, Ephesians chapter one and Romans chapter eight have been big in our discussions. And last week we were into Romans chapter eight talking about the issue of foreknowledge. And, and with that, we really got started getting into the, the, um, acronym TULIP, which we're going to talk a little bit about more today. And last week we talked about the T, total depravity, and, and what that, how that relates to the Arminian view of, of, of mankind. And we're going to get more into that today, too, as we talk about foreseen faith that we talked about last time, because it relates to the U, which we're going to talk about today, which is unconditional election. So that's really where we're kind of landing today, is unconditional election. But before we get just straight into that again, uh, I do think it's important that we give a little bit more background. I know we've hinted at this in the past, but just how this whole acronym TULIP came to be. So, Dad, from your point, viewpoint, can you just give a little history? Of, and when you think of TULIP and how it originated, um, what, what have you read about that and what would you say is important for people to know? Sure. Well, most of the time when it's been referred to, um, at least from what I can recall, they always say Calvin's tulip. 
And so I thought that Kelvin came up with this idea, how do I, you know, make this little acronym come together to make, you know, our doctrines of grace easy to understand. And so you, you put together, you know, these five points of Calvinism, right? But when you go into it, what I learned was that this tulip actually came up in a postmortem, right? After, yeah. after Calvin, John Calvin had actually died and was a response, a reformed response to another group of people that had laid out five points of their own. So the tulip was actually a response to this other or, or group. Yeah. Yeah. So that group really, they were followers of, of Jacobus Arminius, who was a... Um, somewhat contemporary of Calvin. I mean, he really, uh, Calvin preceded him. Arminius was from the what we call today the Netherlands, right? And so uh, Holland, and which is, you know, they grow a lot of tulips there. And so, you know, that's where, <laughs> you know, we get that, the name tulip is it comes out of that because it was actually um, the, the Reformed Church in the Netherlands that, that this arose out of as they were establishing their doctrine and, and, and saying this is what the Reformed faith is. So all this is out of the Reformation. And so in some senses, the Armenians are themselves reformers, <laughs> right? Because, um, but, but they had a disagreement over, some, over the doc, these doctrines that we look at, especially as it relates to man's free will and, and, um, and, and, and Arminius' position when it came to things like the issue of God's sovereignty versus man's free will as it, as it comes to issues of predestination and election and so forth. And so they became known as the remonstrants. And so they were really, in some senses, protesting against the church of their day, which were following more along the lines of the Cal teachings of Calvin and Knox and so forth, um, and in the other um, reformers of that time. And so... Uh, then what ended up happening is that they they laid out their statements of of where they felt like the church was going wrong or their disagreement, and and it was kind of in related to these five points. And then the the it was the Calvinist disciples basically who wrote the response right. to the remonstrance, and it's those responses that then became titled Tulip. Right. So these right. are actually five statements in response to a, a differing position. Right. Now, we've mentioned Tulip, and we mentioned that it's an acronym, but I don't know if we've listed them in yeah. order for the people that may not know what that yeah, is. Yeah, so go ahead and let's see if sure. we can do it between the two of us. Well, sure. So um, we've talked about the first one already uh, yeah. quite a bit on this uh, show, which is uh, T is for total depravity, right. right? And we talked about what that means, which is that man all of his being through his uh, through the fall of sin is depraved, which means that his spirit is dead and he has no ability to come to God on his own. Right. So it doesn't mean we're as bad as we can be, but it means there's no part of us that was not impacted by the fall, including our will, including our you know our, our, the, the spiritual part of us. There's nothing that was left apart or unimpacted by sin, right? Right, right? And so so then you is, which we're going to talk about today, is that unconditional election. Unconditional and, election. And so right. there's nothing that God foresees in any of us, or there's nothing about us that he declares, oh, I'm going to choose Thad because I like, you know, this about him. Right. There's no right? condition in me or of you that, that God makes his decision right. based upon, right. including our faith. Yeah, including our faith, right? right? Yeah. And so then the L... 
L is limited atonement, which is a tough one, but we'll get to that down the road, which just is talking about that God's, um, the shedding of Christ's blood on the cross has limitations onto who it affects, mm-hmm. right? Because if it if it's effectual for all, that means all are saved. So right. you could end up all the way on the far side of of this equation, right. having universalism that everybody's saved regardless of what they believe, right? right? So yeah, so we'll we'll get into that probably right. next week, right. A little bit more, but it is each of these have implications on on one another, right? Yeah, yeah. they sure do. Right? Yeah, yeah, and so so then we have the I. The, the the in tulip and that is irresistible grace and so the the which again related to the limited atonement is that uh, but but it also has a lot to do even with the efficacy right of what God is doing and which again we get back to the sovereignty and the glory of God is that does God do things that have the chance of not accomplishing its purpose right right, <laughs> right? and so with irresistible grace and when God does that work of regeneration um, and the Holy Spirit is is does that work is can can man resi- mankind resist that the the Calvinist view uh, of his disciples <laughs> right right was that no it, it, it is irresistible when God does that awakening and that rebirth within our spirits that we we do respond to the gospel right and it should uh, be noted that uh, up into regeneration, that's all that we're doing is resisting it because we're right. enemies of God, right? right? And so once we have regeneration, that's that rebirth, which right. only comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. yeah then and our, we mentioned we talked a little bit about last we, week because we brought up the sure. idea of prevenient grace. Yeah, absolutely. Right, and that prevenient grace is in some senses trying to have this neutral middle ground. And last week we we said, I, if if you can show me somewhere in Scripture where it says that God brings us back to some neutral state. I'm open to the idea because it sounds really nice. <laughs> right. I just have not found anywhere in Scripture where there's this neutrality. It seems to me you're either dead in your trespasses and sins, or you're made alive to Christ Jesus. You're either the old man or the new. You know, um, the, the, there's no middle ground. And so, um, uh, and we might talk about that a little more again when we get to I. But well, yeah, you know, as I was listening, as I was listening um, to you speak last week, you were talking about. Uh, neutrality in man. Yeah. And then you were talking about the natural man. And it's like, if he's talking about the natural man, he's not talking about the neutral man. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Which, which right. And so the, yeah. the idea of that disappeared during that point. So that's yeah, little... exactly. And we, we've talked about that other times too, too, just in terms of, I, think, I know in the Colossians series, we talked about that several times is that, what is that? What does it mean? What does that sin nature mean? What does that mean to be separated from God? And, right. and, uh, and yeah, I, I, I don't see this, little grace it's funny grace period <laughs> where we get to we, we we get to like finally and fully reject him you know or right. finally and fully accept him it, it's yeah so again show me in scripture and I'll I'll jump on board <laughs> yeah yeah and, then, uh, then finally yeah then finally we have p which is the perseverance of the saints and so um you know uh, which I, that's going to be an interesting discussion when we really get to it. But the the but the real idea is that what God, the the work that God starts in us, He is going to ensure and, and carry it to completion. That once the, the when that true faith is is entered in, that the man will persevere to the end. Right, right. right? It, it, because 
the faith is a gift. So sometimes I'll call it the perseverance of faith, right? Mm-hmm. And because that faith is a gift, and right. I, I know God can't fail, right? Because if it's only left up to me, then I'm right. going I'm going to, right? right? But that regenerate um, spirit working in us and that faith yeah. that is given. And I mentioned this verse last week, right? He who began a good work in me right. will complete it until yeah. the day of Jesus yeah. Christ. So that's a, a very simple one. We'll get deeper into all those, but... But good. So that yeah, that so, helps, you know, summarize and round off, you know, what we're talking about. When we say tulip, that's really what we mean. Yeah. And so we do want to spend the rest of this episode diving into the issue of unconditional election. And uh, again, it's related to it's related to the T of total depravity. That there's, if we do understand man's original state, um, uh, I'm not talking back to Adam and Eve now, but I'm talking about mankind in whose deadness trespasses and sins, a mankind who. Uh, uh, who wants to do no good thing apart, you know, can do no good thing apart from God and wants, doesn't really want to, um, then uh, what does that say about our condition? Right. You know, it says that we are in this condition that's set apart from God. So what does, what, what does God look upon us in order to choose us? Uh, that, that, if you if you have the T, there's a pretty logical pro- progression that the there is this um, there's no condition within us which God is going to look upon with favor. Uh, but uh, I think one of the real rubs with this with people is, and I was and I did was reading a couple people today, you know, trying to look at the proponents of um, Arminianism or and, or really in a lot of ways the those who are opponents of, um, of Calvin, of, of the tulip perspective. And when it came to the issue of this unconditional election, it, they were quickly trying to jump to, to uh, a form of logic, right, that, that was then starting to put, if you're, if you're going to take this stuff on God that it, off, off of man, that it, then you, have, you actually have to then put something on God. Right, if there is this unconditional election, if it's God, if it's just God choosing, right, then God must be choosing sin. He must be. In some, they were trying to take this and and start to make God the author of sin, because if there's nothing I can do and there's nothing about me that God's choosing, and He's not, He's choosing to save some and not others, right? Right. So, which which again related some to the limited atonement, but that really has more to do with. The well, atonement I, I, yeah. itself than, than, than the choice, because really the, the unconditional election is really about the choosing. Yeah, I, th- I right. think it goes all the way back to foreknowledge that we talked about. That's yes. why it kind of branches in so nicely. So the Arminian right. position that we stated directly from John Wesley mm-hmm. in, his, in his own words is actually stated this way, that God's election is based on man's foreseen faith before the foundation of the world God chose certain individuals for salvation based on his foreseeing that they would, of their own free will, choose Christ. So that's right. that foreknowledge of God's omniscience, seeing right. uh, what people would do, how they would uh, make their choices, right. and then basing basing that, basing that foreknowledge of information, right. you know, and predestining it because, right. of course, he knows all things. And, you know, it, it's true that he does know all things, but... What we talked about last time is that that verse or that word foreknowledge wasn't about information. It was about persons. He knows yeah. somebody, right? right. He, he actually knows somebody because he foreloves them, right? Yeah. It's a foreordination. And through that, right. based on that. And so the reform position of unconditional election states that the opposite way that God's election is unconditional. That's that you and Tulip right. that we're talking about. God's condition or election is unconditional. 
God's choice of certain individuals for salvation was not based on any foreseen responsible obedience on their part, but was based solely on his good and sovereign will. So we we look at it in the Reformed view um, that it all has to do with God, his sovereign will, which is based you know, in that eternal decree. Right. right. And, and, and with that, too, there's also that the assurance of the, what God is going to, what God does, he accomplishes because it rests on his shoulders, not on ours. Um, but, but what's interesting, I think, as you bring that up, that the, this unconditional election is really that response to this notion of foreseen faith. And it really is not, now there are implications and it does play itself out some in the whole, you know, talk of predestination, which that was a whole other episode that we did. You know, that, that not that it's unrelated, but it really isn't the origin of the you in TULIP is the response to this whole notion of foreseen faith. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That is, um, when we don't, other than trying to take this word foreknowledge and define it in that way, which we I think did a pretty good job of saying that's probably not the best way to do that from Scripture. Right. Is that to start taking this notion of, of God's choosing is him choosing some and not others. That is a discussion worthy of having, but it's not the, that's directly the discussion of the you. The discussion of the you is, is the, is, is there something within man that caused him to choose this? Right. And that's where the foreknowledge issue comes in, the foreseen faith that the, the Armenians have, that this response is, is saying no to that, that scripture doesn't do this. So I just want to go to some of the scriptures that 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 look at this in this way. And I want to go, I want to start all the way back with Israel, even itself, who is the elect people of God, as helping us lay the foundation of this. Sure, because that's is, that's the first people that we see that God calls as elect. Right. Right. And so if we go to Deuteronomy chapter seven, we see this language being used. And so Deuteronomy seven. Um, I'll start in verse 6, I think. He's talking about his chosen people, the Lord, because God chose to bring them out of Egypt, to bring them into the land. He called the people to himself, all those things, right? And then it says this, he's describing, he's in talking to people. Now, the Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law, the second law. It's, it's, it's really Moses' sermons to the people before they go back, they go into the land uh, which Moses is not going into with them, right? <laughs> right. Um, and here's what it says, starting in verse 6 of, of chapter 7. It says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasure possession. And we see that same language being used in, in Exodus 19. He says, He chose you to be his treasure possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and have redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and so forth. And so, he didn't choose them for any other any other quality other than he had set his love on them, and 
he determined to keep covenant, to keep his word. And so the, this unconditional election that is there is, again, it relates back to the glory of God, that there's nothing that can be pointed to within Israel themselves that God said, made them choose. I, made, I chose you because of this, this, or this. But rather, it, is, it really is the foundation of all worship, that only God's calling people to, to, to worship him, that he is worthy of all honor, and that he is showing and setting his love, and it's out of his covenant love, that hesed, that covenant faithfulness, that God's showing that I'm the faithful one, I'm the one worthy of worship, I'm the one that you respond to, right? And so there can be nothing about you that made me do this. It, it really is all in a reflection of me and my goodness and my love. Mm-hmm. Um so the the election here though is speaking about a particular people here Israel. Right. Um but this election isn't necessarily that speaking of every person being saved. Right. No, it, it, it's his choosing of a people for himself right. to accomplish his purpose. But the idea here of election as you were stating, yeah. I'm just reiterating this so I understand it as clear as I as I possibly can is that this election is just showing how God um in and of his own sovereign will and choice, chose a particular people. And he says specifically here, it's not because you are a great people or that right. you are more. In fact, right. it's just the opposite. You guys are just, you're about as bad as it gets, you know? But I, Later I'm he calls cho- them stiff-necked and stubborn. Right? Yeah, yeah, but I'm choosing you because I'm going to show my glory right. In, right. in what I can do right. for you. Okay. Now, there, in that, now, there is a sense in which he did. Every one of the elect of Israel was saved from Egypt and mm. from Pharaoh. Right, right. He saved them out of Pharaoh and out of Egypt. Now that doesn't necessarily equate. It's it's a symbol, metaphor, picture of the salvation we will all experience in the new heavens and the new earth. But it doesn't it doesn't mean that every single Israelite is is going to experience that. Right. Even. I guess what I'm trying to right. establish is that when we get into the New Testament, then and yeah. we're talking about um, where it says the elect. Um, is that saying the same type of thing? He's speaking to the church in general, but not to a, yeah. a particular... Well, I think uh, we have to let those those particular um, usages define themselves. So we got to let the context speak. We got to let the context speak. Okay. Right. But but, we, but here, we do have in the Old Testament and in Deuteronomy, this pattern that is in place in terms of God's choosing a people for himself that is, is not based on... Um, those things. It, it's it's not based on. It's not based on the people themselves, or right, the, yeah, right, exactly. Uh, so, so, so we see in the in the Deuteronomy passage, this God. This is how God chose Israel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it also states that again um, in Deuteronomy fourteen. It says, "For you are a holy people to the Lord your God." And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself. It's a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So here, God makes a choice for a particular people, Mm -hmm. right, out of all the people on the earth. Well, we could say in this application, even though he's picking them for this particular purpose, right, to be a people to shine his light to the world, this is not necessarily a salvific thing, but... We could also say, well, that doesn't sound very fair that he's leaving the majority of the people on the planet, you know, as not his chosen people, right? So 
these these questions right. of God's sovereign choice will continue to come up in our humanness. Right. We gotta we gotta combat that our emotions with what the word says to stick with His truth. Right, right. And so, when it comes to the issue of unconditional election, too, the one of the root things behind there is mankind's desire to see himself as good in some way, right? Mm-hmm. That there's a you know the the choosing of of um, Israel. You say there's nothing about you that 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 made me do that. And when we we look at relate, we look at this related to our episode last week that we, we see that there is this obvious relationship to the to the T, the total depravity, as we talk about we talk about being dead in our trespasses of sins. And there's um but it but it also then relates not just to the it relates to the condition, which we've said that is not one of foreseen faith, right? But it also relates then to if there was something good about me or something redeemable about me, then maybe I maybe I'm contributing something to this salvation. Right. Well, right. But the scriptures speak to this so clearly, and in, and in First Peter, it, it doesn't get any more clear because we, recognizing in our depravity that we're we're dead in our sins, uh, and we would say that we are in spiritual darkness. Right. Right. And we we can't light our own candle. It, it takes God to do that for us. But listen how He compares Israel with the church today. He He says, "But you," and now He's speaking to the church. Right. You are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you, how? And from where? Out of darkness into his marvelous light or into his glorious light, Mm -hmm. who were once not a people, but are now a people of God, who have not attained mercy, but now have obtained mercy, right? Right. Um, So he does the exact comparison to Israel for one particular purpose, and now he's showing it to the elect church, and this is a salvific passage here. Because why? Because they've the church obtains mercy. We, we didn't mm-hmm. we didn't have mercy, but right. God can demonstrate His mercy by calling us out of our own darkness, our own spiritual darkness, our own death, into His glorious light right. by breathing life into our spiritual lungs. Right. Exactly. And so I think too of um, you know we in that same. In the same passage of, of Ephesians, where we, we get the dead in our trespasses yeah. and sins, right? We have that, that famous um, verse that a lot of us know, 2.8, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, right? Mm-hmm. It's not the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. Now, the, if, here it, it is talking about human activity, nothing of your own doing, or this I notion of religious works and it's and I would say eight here is not directly addressing this whole idea of foreseen faith right but I think it is addressing this idea that oh I need to perform some religious duty in order to to do this right if I pray enough if I you know um, go to church enough whatever those things that could be considered that this is a religious work and say no it's by this it's by grace alone there's nothing that we merit in any in right any of this. and i think the one thing that um, we want to keep in mind is that um that when we're dealing with grace and we're dealing with the characteristics of god which include justice mm-hmm. right and his love that god has is under no obligation to demonstrate his love to anybody right um 
but he does. And that is called mercy, yeah. right? And so mercy becomes a, a very big part of that. Mercy is get, is that that granting of something of the freedom of something that we don't do something that we should deserve, but he doesn't give it to us. Right. right? We deserve yeah. death. Right. He doesn't give it to us. That's mercy. Right. But he doesn't have to do that for right. everybody. Right. And there's times that we'll see that he withholds his mercy and gives people justice. Yeah. yeah and, and, and we might get into that a little bit, but I, I just want to even jump back to how's, how's this whole notion of us being able to do something or works or all this stuff. Does it have any relationship back to a precondition? Right. So, um, is there a uh, is there because we talk about sometimes grace as defining it as unmerited favor, and I bring this up because at times I, in remembering the you of tulip, I wrongly call I wrongly jump to unmerited favor when it really is unconditional election, <laughs> right? Yeah, uh, because it's these two yous. But but uh, so so this un there's I think that unmerited favor off does have more to do with this idea of me trying to do something to make God want to forgive me, right? That I, I'm doing something that, that then he'll, okay. And we, we sometimes see this as, as even like a false gospel in some ways that, well, um, God, you know, God um, uh, makes up what I lack, Right, that his salvation, and so I, I do. I go those far, but God, but Jesus takes me the rest of the way. <laughs> you know, kind <laughs> right. of a thing because, well, because we're just all human, right? Nobody's perfect, you know. But see, that's the whole idea. If it's it's not that we're it's not that we're just fallible humans. I think that's a poor way to talk about our sin. Um, it's not that it's completely untrue, but our sin is that utter rebellion against God. It's that that we've turned away from Him. Right? It goes back to the whole discussion we had in the last episode episode before we talked about, well, can you do anything? Can I do a good act? Right. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. Well, you know, um, if I'm if I don't have faith, you know, and, and so in reality is the issue is the condition of the heart. Right. And that's where unconditional election, I think, speaks to that. There is it's not it, it's not just that there's no forcing faith, but that doesn't look at your at your heart and go. That's one I want to save because I see some little seed or kernel of something in there. No, uh, the, the the total depravity helps to see. No, that that we I am dead. When God looks at me in His eternal time or whatever, He didn't look at me and say, "Oh, there's something good about Matt." Right? Yeah. There's something that He's going to be able to merit in this. Um, that or I'll see that at some point he's going to do enough good stuff that, I, you know, or, or whatever. No, it, it has, doesn't have anything to do with that. Right. It if, is totally his sovereignty. Right? Exactly. And if we consider the scripture's choice of words that we are spiritually dead, mm-hmm. right? Not ailing, but dead. Right. Then we can make the same comparison with, with Lazarus in the grave, physically dead, right? For right. The, those four days that we brought up last time. And Jesus does not, bring him 99% to life and say, now yeah. here's, here's the last percent that you got to do on your own. You got to, you got to come up with this last little bit on your own. Right. Right. No, it was a hundred percent the power of right. Christ in Lazarus to raise him from the dead. That's unconditional. The resurrection of Lazarus was unconditional. Right. And mm-hmm. so it can be, the analysis can be the same with our spiritual condition right. because right. it calls us dead. Well, what about this, dad? Uh, some play, Devil's advocate here for a minute, in the sense that maybe this—I mean, Ephesians two one again—you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Maybe it's um, 
Well, it, it's my it's because I sinned, right? That that what I've I've earned is death. So think about I've been thinking about like Romans six twenty three for the wages of sin is death, right? So the reason I'm dead, in my sin, it wasn't necessarily because I was born that way. I, I bet my sin got me dead. Uh, you know, uh, in the sense that because of my sin, I'm going to experience eternal death. But but this isn't saying that I'm currently right now dead. It just says that, you know, it just it, it's it's looking ahead at my at my death because of my sin, right? Is that the language that 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 is here? I think you know some could maybe argue. the The problem is it says you were dead in trespasses and sins. Um, in the ways you once walked, that 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 it does seem to be, to me it does seem to be this. It's talking about a condition, not necessarily something that is being earned. I mean, it is a description of of the person, and then and it's in contrast to verse four, where it says, "But God, being rich in mercy, because of great love for us." And then verse five, even when we were dead in trespasses and our sins, made us alive. Right, right? right, and so there is this again. It's this. There's a conversion that is really happening here, right? And so, uh, why would I need a conversion if I'm somehow neutral? If I if I achieve some kind of neutrality, <laughs> right? I think that's I think that's where the uh, the argument fails, right? Right. Um, and uh, the other thing about context here, we are in chapter two now. Again, there's mm-hmm. there was no chapter markers when they yeah. when the letter was originally written. But there's no question who this letter is being written to. It has an audience, right? And yeah. it, the audience here um, are assumed to be believers, right? right? And if you're a believer, you're only a believer because you've been made alive. You were once right. dead, is what this was saying. Hey, church, you were once dead. He made you alive, yeah. right? And now, um, and not only that, you were children of wrath, right? And again, just like you were saying before, but it's not. It's not of anything, but because of God, who is rich in mercy, decided to lavish that upon us. Right, right. So. And so again, the emphasis is on God's sovereignty to the end of His glory and His love that uh, He sets on us. Yeah. Right? By the way, just carrying it on, as I looked at the continuation of this mm-hmm. verse in verse six, and raised us up together. That is nothing light of. Or, or less than resurrection, yeah. right? That's spiritual rebirth because we haven't yeah. been raised up together yet physically with Christ to heaven, right? But physically, no. Spiritually, yes, we've been raised up. That's the spiritual yeah. rebirth. Right. It's regeneration, right? And so, the, and that has to do then with it. We must have been in a condition about before that that was that needed that, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. You know, and so. Um, to return to relate this back to the unconditional lesson issue, then if God is God has to do something in this unconditional election, right? And so, because uh, I'm I'm bringing us back a little bit back to Romans eight, which we looked at last week, we started talking a little bit about the ordo salutis and um, this kind of this you called it the golden chain, right? That we that we have here that. Uh, we starting verse twenty eight. We know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. From those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order they might be the firstborn among many, many brothers. Those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those he justified, He also glorified. Um, so, in this unconditional election, 
um, when God does choose, what, how, does, how does this, how does he effectuate this election? How does he bring about this um, understanding for us? What, what does, I don't know who's elect, right? I don't know who is. And so um, we've talked about God ordaining means for things to happen. And so uh, if, if we're totally depraved, there's nothing we can do. And God doesn't choose us on anything we, we do, we've done, but we know he did die for us. He did give the gospel. Um, and it, it says here, he's, there's this language of calling in here, in verse 28, and then again in verse 30. So is there a relationship here to the calling uh, of God uh, to this? Because one of the... Th- one of the issues that arises here is this issue of foreseen faith. So we know, in back to Ephesians 2, that it is by grace you've been saved through faith, right? Um, right. And so what's, how is faith related to all this the, and, and calling? Yeah. Um, well, this was a, a big stumbling block for me, you know, as I have been growing in faith. And when I see the word... Um, call, I, I think of the gospel message, you know, the call of Christ is to repent and believe, right? That's that call. And then when I see call called in other places, I see that it means a specific people. So what I've come to learn is that there is a general call of the gospel that goes out to all people, right? right. But there is an effectual call that is a special love that God sets upon a particular people, and that's of God's choice of which I have no control. Mm-hmm. That's a sovereign choice. But yet I've been called, you know, as a believer to also share the truth with all the world, not knowing who's going to believe. Right. Right. Because faith comes by hearing and that of the word of the Lord. Right. right. And so that's the power of the Holy Spirit. And those are God's secret wills, you know, mm-hmm. his, his sovereign and, and secret choices, the secret things of God that we don't understand, but yet he's given us this mission. So uh, in my study, what I found is that when we look at the gospels, the, the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke and John, uh, primarily that we can see the general call going out through all those gospels, but we'll see a slip of this in, in like Matthew, for example, where it says many are called, but few are chosen. So there's a distinction there. Right. Right. But when we get into the epistles, um, all the letters that, that Paul wrote and whatnot, when it speaks of called and he's speaking to the church, he uses uh, an article that makes it specific. He, the, he'll, he'll say, um, you have been called to this purpose. Right. So there's um, a distinction of an exacting call for a particular purpose, which the context brings out. And then we will see a, the direct article sometimes uh, come out, like we mentioned in Matthew 28, decalled. Right. Right. And this happens again, even in the very beginning of Romans, it says, through him, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom, uh, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Well, 
do you see the separation of being the called of Jesus Christ right. instead of called to Jesus Christ? It makes it a possessive action, right? Of of Christ, we're called to mm-hmm. to something specifically, and that's who we are. We are now the called, right? And so, um, just like we can say we are now the elect, Israel could say we are the elect, right? right. For that particular purpose that He called them, they were called in a particular in general to be a light into the nations, right? Mm-hmm. And so are we, but we're now called into salvation. So. Those words go very hand in hand, and the context will always determine that for us. Yeah, and, and so I, and this really is going to lead us into the L, um, because what we're starting to see this particular language, particularized language, which then is going to help us as we as we get into limited atonement next week. But I think to back up and, and relate it to what we're talking about here with unconditional election is is dealing with those objections again. So um, you have the whole notion of the this response to the notion of foreseen faith, but then when, when we have this response, then we have these other objections that come afterwards. And one of those objections is then, so what you're saying is, if God's choosing particular, if he's particularized this election, if we don't believe in universalism, right, and it's not, and it's, it's not up to man, though, in this whole conversation, we need to remain as accountable because we are we are sin and we do sin, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, the the whole notion that this is all, that our sin is is God's fault, you know, is is a rabbit tail. I'm not going to go down, but there, it just in my mind doesn't follow. And and nowhere do the scriptures accuse God of that, right? Um, they completely make that distinction, but but we we have to we do have to raise the issue, I guess, uh, is that, so why would God not choose everyone, right? Because you could still have unconditional election, right? It could still be God doesn't choose because there's anything good in us, but he could still choose everybody and still hold that unconditional election. Well, the fact of the matter is, um, you know, we're we're asking a hypothetical question, and so you're forced into speculation, right? But whenever the question comes up on why God, if it doesn't tell us in the Scripture, we just have to remain mute, right? We have to keep our mouths closed because um, we're going to end up putting words in God's mouth, and that's that's where we get lost in philosophy sometimes. When we we lose the biblical worldview, we're going to stumble and we're going to, our, our tendency is to stray away, right? Yeah. It, stray away from that path that's lit only by the Holy Spirit. And so we're brought back to what the Word of God tells us. And what does it tell us? That God chose some and that narrow is the path to righteousness, right? And why yeah. is the path to destruction? And and all these things have to come into play together. But in God's sovereign will, that's that's where we're at. And it, it's like the uh, the apostles when they were talking with Christ, you know. And what is what does Jesus say to them? He says, uh, "You did not choose me, but I chose you." Now, this is not necessarily for salvation, mm-hmm. but for a particular purpose, right? I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And this is in John 15, by the way, mm-hmm. and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask in the name, in the ask in the ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. So this is a particular choosing of Christ. This shows his sovereignty to choose people to do a particular mission, right? Right. And in Acts, it says the same thing to us as believers, in, in, a, in a sense. It says, For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. 
Now, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Uh-oh. Yeah. But you know what, John? But you know, John also says in John 3, 16, that for God so loved the world, Thad, that he gave his only begotten, said that whosoever should believe in him will have eternal life. So, I mean... Actually, it's not whosoever. Oh, that's that's a that's a bad translation. Okay. People use that all the time, right? But the actual verbiage of that is that those believing. <laughs> Why are you laughing at me? No, because you're because you're right. I, I, no, I'm just you know I'm, I'm just I'm playing you know I've been playing the devil's advocate here, so I'm not laughing. No, this is no, this is good. I I uh, I just thought I uh, no, you didn't. No. Okay. Good. No, I, I know. Okay. I know that you know that I know. <laughs> That's why we're doing this podcast together. No, this is fun. It, and it, and it's kind of fun because once in a while you'll you'll hear things like that if you're not familiar with what the actual verbiage is, mm-hmm. that people can stump you on these things. And that's why it's right. good not only to know um, the verse and its context, but the harmony of the scriptures, because we can't rely necessarily sometimes just on one verse, but the whole thing has to come together. That's why we list, you know, five and six verses that speak with authority to these things. And then a difficult verse comes along that say, seems to say something opposite of that. Mm-hmm. And we know that it can't. Why? Because we know that it can't be contrary to itself or to the rest of the right. word of God. Right. So, so, Okay, but God so loved the world, right? So his love. So you're saying then that if if God chose some and not others, then he doesn't love everybody? Yeah, and we had this topic a little bit last time. But in this context, again, um, in John um, 3.16, God so loved the world, we now have to find what is the definition of world. Mm-hmm. And John, in particular, uses the word world a dozen times in different ways. Sometimes when he uses the word world, he means the entire population. Sometimes when he means it, he only means those whom he sets his love. Other times when he means it, don't be of the world. It's right. a negative, right? Yeah. And and so there's time and time again. But here... Um, the best context for what we can come up with or from what I understand it to be is that he loves the world and that's people of every tongue, tribe, and nation. Right. Right. And that's and that's later going to be defined for us as we go right. through the epistles. Right. And so we do see, I, part of the reason I bring that up, and, I, and it, it relates to other places, that there is there is this inclusive language in the scriptures, right? And that inclusive language helps us see that um, as uh, as Paul would say, like in Galatians, that there's n- no Scythians, you know, Greek, slave or free, male or female. There's a the, there's no distinguishing thing that that God is is choosing out of. It, it, I bring this up because it relates back to the unconditional election, right? We no one can say God chose me because I'm of this skin color or I'm of this height, I'm of this particular ethnicity or race. This gospel call is inclusive of all peoples, tongues, tribes, and nations, right? The particularity of it, the exclusiveness of it, does is only really related back down to God's sovereignty. 
in his choice. There's nothing about mankind that is, that is is in there, right? So that right. we do see this inclusive language of the world, or it's something. Sometimes we even have the inclusive language of the word all, right? That is taking to all peoples, right, and all these things, and and that's where we get back to this notion of the general call. The call is to is 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 all inclusive. There's no one is being left out, and even within the choosing, there's no people group or that is going to be left out either, right? But that doesn't mean that there is this that there's a universalism, right? There is a particularism that is based. There will not all are saved, and then the question comes down to on what account, right? Um, is that account the foreseen faith? Well, what it has to do with, it has to do with the eternal decree again, right? Of right. those whom the Lord promises the Son as that eternal love gift that for whom the Son would die. And, you know, there are plenty of verses that can make people mad. And I would expect, you know, that we can make people mad by saying that, that God doesn't love everybody in the world the same, right? And I've learned that from the, every, God right. loves everybody equally. Well, no, there's he loves a spe- the, and he loves his creation. But right? if that's true, then we would expect him to pray the same for everybody. Mm-hmm. But listen to this prayer that we get this glimpse in John 17 right. um, to, from Jesus Christ to his Father. Well, I'll just I'll, I'll just I basically have it summarized. So when he's praying to the Father, he's praying, Father, I. I pray for these whom you've given me. These are the disciples, right? And those whom you give me out of the world, right? Mm -hmm. Out of the world, right? There's a distinction there. I do not pray for the world. Well, those are still people. He's So he's praying for some. He's praying for those who have come to him, whom the Father has given to him, speaking of the apostles and the disciples that are already believing. Then he's praying for those whom the Father would give him out of the world in time, Right, those are the ones that are promised to him, the elect that would surely come, and then he says, "I do not pray for the world." Mm-hmm. Right, and that is a um, a distinction factor. Now, that's that's tough to take in our humanity that he's not praying for everybody equally, but that's the same as him besetting his love on everybody equally. In my eyes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think we need to. Recognize that by asking these questions, they're honest questions that we have, and there's honest feelings and thoughts that, that as as humans we have, and and often I think for believers it, it often is projected upon those whom we love, who we know are not yet followers of Christ, <laughs> right? And it disturbs us. Um, but the the reality is we need to come to grips with what. The scripture says, and we need to try to, as you, as you talk about, often harmonize and 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 let the scriptures uh, work that out for us. And 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 honestly, in humility, we need to say we we don't we got to confess that I can get things wrong, you know. But but when it when it comes to this notion of uh, wanting to define God's love and his justice and his equality and treating everyone the same and all these things, we do need to ask where that notion comes from. And does that notion come from the scriptures? It does. Or does it... It, 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 <laughs> it, does. <laughs> it does, right? You know, the the idea of 
of how the the secret will of God, right? The mm-hmm. secret love of God on whom he's going to right. call people. We we can only get that from scripture. This is not, I would not come up with this on my own. I'm all in on the other idea, <laughs> right? Just let it be up to me. You know, if I, if I'm not, you know, smart enough to see that Christ loved me, then that's on me. But my goodness, would I lose that so fast, right? But this is such a humbling doctrine that we're yeah. dealing with because let's take a look at example in um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And this is in verses 4 through 6. And he's talking to the church here, right? And um, words that uh, these disciples and apostles use sometimes in regard to the understanding of that we know that they are believers as he's calling them beloved. He's calling Mm -hmm. them brethren, right? And he says, knowing beloved brethren, your election by God. In other words, knowing that you're elect by God. Then he says, for our gospel, this is all the believers did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. So this is the separation between the general gospel where the word goes forth and is heard by by all with you know mm-hmm. physical ears, but the regeneration power of the word that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right, right. That's the difference, right? And so when we read this, what's different? This is a different type of love. Mm-hmm. It's a different type of love, right? right. Because he's, he says, beloved, right? right. This, is, this is the apostle speaking, but it's your election by God, and it's, and it's a salvation. It's a salvific love, but it came not only in word, but also in power. Whose power? Our own power to come up with this idea right. on our own that we're going to agree? Right. No, in the Holy Spirit. And... Well, we're not sure that this is going to work out. No. And in much assurance. I mean, all of these things that right. are so important to the understanding of the completion of the start um, from start to finish of our faith right. is right here in this paragraph. Right. And it's the assurance in the power of God. Now, right. you you started jumping to the notion of God's, dis, you know, doing this work from the scriptures. I, I was actually... Uh, Bringing up the the reference to the fact that this notion that God has to treat us all the same. Oh, right. Sorry, so I got, got ahead of myself. You did, but no, but what you 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 showed the counter to that you showed that how how God from the scriptures what God did. And what I'm what I'm bringing up too is that the the idea that God has to treat everyone the same that is a very Western American, not just American. I mean, I think you would find that in, in Europe European thought too. But but that this is very much a human libertarianist notion that we are projecting that upon God. Let me give you an example. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and before you do, no. and the reality is, and we've said this before, is that if we do want God to treat us all the same, right, then what we'll all get is his justice mm. and his justice alone. That's right. Right. If we really want God to treat us all the same, then we're all doomed, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. I mean that, and and so the the notion that God would does choose to save some is that expression of His grace and mercy that that 
for us to embrace, right? So go on, go on. With I'm gonna your... I'm gonna stop that example because I don't okay. want to go too deep into the woods. But I think what would be mm-hmm. um, good now is to explain or to show where the scriptures point out that we didn't come up with this faith on our own. We didn't yeah, we didn't right. get born again on our own. And this is in the very beginning of John's gospel, chapter one. It's speaking of Jesus being in the world. So in verses 10 through 13, it says, Jesus, or he was in the world and the world was made through him. So this is Jesus, Yahweh, creator of heaven and earth, right? Mm -hmm. But it says that the world did not know him. Okay. He came to his own. Who's that? That's his own people. That's the Israelites or the Jewish people. And his own did not receive him. So in, in in general, the Jews rejected him. They're the ones that crucified him or would crucify him under Pontius Pilate, right? And then it says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Okay, stop right there. So this is nothing wrong with this. It's saying that as many as received him. So this is just an act on our own faith. That we that we've heard the word and that we've cho- chose to believe him, we've received his message, right? Yeah. So we we could say that we're born again out of our out of our own faith. You know, our faith acts first. But wait a minute, it continues on, doesn't it? <laughs> who were born? This is the born again. Who were regenerated, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Oh. Yeah. It is God, right? It's not it's not of my will. It's not that it's not because I have Jewish blood in me, right? It's not that I I have uh royalty that I'm a better person than the person sitting next to me, right? And it's not of my own choice that I've come with come up with, but of God. Right. Right. I I think at this point it, it would be good to ask ourselves, what sh- what does this elicit within us? What it does does this doctrine, this you know, response to this notion of foreseen faith that we're saying no, there's it's unconditional election. Um, what is the if you if we think about you know the Calvinist disciples of, of that day in the Netherlands, or even like, because this, this really notion really comes out a lot in the Westminster Confession of Faith. Of faith. So you have the, the British people of the, of the day, you know, England, Scotland, uh, who came to Westminster and, and did this, uh, really seem to want to drive this home in a lot of, of, of the confession within the catechisms and so forth. And so, um, and they do they do know, mention the glory of God and and really want there is a strong desire I think to to not have man take any credit for any of this right and so with that being underlying that what is then the what should this produce in us you know what what is the fruit of such doctrine. Would you would you say you can speak personally, you know, in your life, or you can just you know, uh, kind of think about it. But it is, I guess, yeah. I'm asking you personally, Thad. What did this What did this realization produce in you? 
in, in a personal faith. Standpoint. Yeah, a, a genuine love uh, for my Savior, mm-hmm. who, in seeing my sin, still chose to to love me. Um, the Scripture says that we didn't love Christ, but He loved us first, mm-hmm. and it's a very humbling thing because I realize that there was nothing that I've done to deserve this. I've only in my own human flesh have done things that have required his justice, you know, but he chose to show me mercy. And that is, uh, you know, that's equivalent to saying that I've, done every crime that's possible, went before the judge, you know, a righteous judge in the court system. And he stands there and he reads off my list of lies, my list of, um, you name it. Right. I could have even been killed somebody. Yeah. Right. And he reads all those off and he's, how do you plead? Right. Right. Well, I plead guilty. Right. Right. What do you, what do you, what do you want? I want, I want mercy. You know, I would like mercy, but I understand that you're a good and just judge, right. Lord. And so I know that I am worthy and deserving of death. Right. And that's what the scripture tells us, that the wages of sin is death, right? But here comes Christ into the courtroom. Yeah. And he says, judge, father, yeah. right? My blood covers this right. child. Why? Why? Because father... You, you gave him to you me, gave him to me <laughs> yeah. right? I laid my life. So right. in a very humble way, I mean, I'm on my knees shivering because I realize it's, it's nothing in me, but that he has given me new life and he's given me now the ability to respond in love. Where once I was an enemy, now right. I'm a friend of God. Right. And yeah. it's only because of the blood of Christ. Right, exactly. And, and I think that is the, that if, if in any way this produces pride in us, it's completely misconstrued and wrong. It's shameful. Because yeah. it actually is, is there, it, it's actually revealing the very opposite of that. <laughs> it, it should be producing that humility. And it makes me think of James chapter 4, um, and in this, he's warning the, his congregation against um, worldliness, and, and they're quarreling, and they're, 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 you know, they're, he says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship the wor- with the world is enmity with God, um, verse 4. He said, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Verse 5, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Mm. So again, it's God's, it's the spirit that he's jealous over the spirit he made to dwell. So I didn't make the spirit dwell in me. He made it dwell in us. And then he says, but he gives more grace. That's the gospel of James right there. He gives more grace. Even in the midst of this condition, right? He gives more grace. And therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Um, Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Mm. That's what, in my mind, that's what unconditional election 
should produce in us. Right. This understanding that I and then the total depravity and unconditional election when you take them together, that we see that apart from the spirit which God made to dwell in me, right, right, um, I have no reason for anything other than to just cry out for God's mercy and say I need I need more grace. And even even as a Christian, even as as I struggle, still have this struggle, you know, that, that is ongoing, that. Um, that I that I constantly say I need more grace. I need more grace because if I'm relying on the old Matt to do anything to please God, then I don't understand my condition. Right. Right. But the, but God is the one who has put His Spirit in me. He's jealous for my soul. He's He's called me Himself. He's He has um, chosen me and given me an inheritance. He's given me the good deposit of the Holy Spirit, and He's. He start this work. He's going to finish it, and out of that, I stay humble. I stay needy <laughs> in Christ. Right, that I'm constantly looking to my union with Him and God's power to do this. And so, I how do I? On the one hand, then I view myself um, apart from Christ as wretched, as 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 one who and mourn over that. And I turn to and I humble myself before the Lord and turn to God because only He can exalt me. Right, that's um, that's what I see. This the the total depravity and unconditional election should be continually keeping us in that humble state of needing Christ alone, mm. um, yeah. and it's it's Christ alone for for this. That that we, the, the the other element of the Reformed faith, which we is related to this, we haven't gotten into, are the five solas. Really, the the the, sure. the, the Reformation was built uh, upon. But and if we see that it that that. Um, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, right? The scriptures alone, and um, glory of God, and the glory of God alone. You know, so that, so so that it's all wrapped up in this. And and what the T and the U and Tulip are doing are laying that foundation, right? That there's nothing within man that he can seek glory. It's actually a, a very. These are two. Part of the reason these two. Um, Doctrines are so hard is because they are so humbling. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're, <laughs> right? they're they're humbling and they're very difficult. And a lot of times, um, we come by it quite honestly because we haven't heard this before. Yeah. You know, as I was growing up in the church, you, mm-hmm. you just didn't hear these things. Right. You would see these things and you would kind of pass pass over them mm-hmm. and stuff. And so when when you're confronted with um, something that disrupts your current belief system, it's yeah. really tough to yeah. take. It's it feels offensive almost. Yeah. Right. And so you know my. My challenge to those who are listening is as you're going through the scriptures or as you're listening to this program is find out, you know, the point uh, where what we say or where the scriptures or our interpretation of the scriptures here rub you the wrong way, mm-hmm. right? Because that's a great opportunity, right? To help you yeah. go and do some homework and find it out and trust God. We were, you know, do you understand that you're totally depraved? If you do, then the unconditional election is mandatory because of that. If you say, I, I believe in total depravity, but I don't believe in unconditional election. Oh, you have, you have to, you have to, you have to, you have to fill in the gap right, right there. Right. If you, if you think that it's unjust or unjust for God to lay his love upon some and not others, well, then we have to let the scripture speak. Right. Yeah. And it does. I'm just going to read this, this verse and let God have the last word here. Mm. Um, because what, what do we say, you know, if God chooses some and not others, or if he, he sets his love on some and not right. others, is there unrighteousness with God? 
And in Romans, this is 9, 14 through 16. Certainly not. For God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I'll have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I'll have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. That sounds exactly like the John verse that we right. wrote a, l- right. a little bit ago, right? It's when when we consider God unju- unjust or unrighteous, you know, right. if you, it doesn't sound right, and we know that it can't be right. So right. we have to go on what God says, yeah. and His words are spoken right. to us in the Old Testament and in the New. Yeah, and just one one last thing related to that is that if there's anybody out there who you feel like I'm crying out for His mercy and He's not showing it to me, then the question is, do you have faith in Christ? Because if you're really crying out for mercy, right, then, then and that's true. That I think God's doing that work in you, right? Yeah. God's God's calling you, and if you if you are wanting that, then you have to say, do I want Jesus alone as mm. the answer? Because He's provided one answer, right? Right. And so part of that, back to that general call, He's called. He's saying, come believe in Jesus. And if you believe in Jesus, then he's doing that work in you. Right. Right? And, and, and for those who aren't, you know, it's not like they're sitting there saying, um, oh, I wanted mercy from God, but he didn't give it to me. Right. That's, yeah, that's, yeah, right. that's not how that works. Right? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I do like ending on that. We'll, we'll get into limited atonement um, next week. And, but I do just want to say, too, it, to cl- wrap up here, if you do have – Anytime comments, questions about what we're saying, or you want to to point out something you see to be an error, then I do want you to contact us. So Thad is going to put my email address, mgrim at cstoneepc.com, in the show notes. Right. Uh, again, so that because we want to be able to answer questions. We want to have that dialogue and we want to be rebuked if we if it's worthy of being rebuked from the scriptures, right? Um, and so so please reach out to us, um, check the show notes, get that email address and, and contact me and we'll address those things. Uh, So thanks for joining us once again, and uh, come back next episode for Limited Atonement. Next time, we continue to work through the doctrines of grace as we look at Limited Atonement. Planet is a Cornerstone EPC production connecting to God, one another, and the world through the love of Jesus. More information can be found at cornerstonebrighton.com.